Let's pray. Father, we give you praise for this gathering, and we ask, O oh Lord, that as your word is read and proclaimed, that you would, by your spirit, open our minds to understand and believe in the truth, and by believing, have life in our Savior. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Well, Merry Christmas, Grace Church. Some of you came expecting to see Santa, but this is as close to Santa as you'll see, white beard, fat man with a red tie. So uh, deal with that. It's wonderful to see all of you this morning, and I trust that you are eager as I am to dive into the riches of God's Word together, even as we rejoice together with friends and family as we give gifts uh, to one another today. Let's not forget that you and I are here today praising God in worship because God gave us a gift, and that is the gift of eternal life in Jesus Christ, His Son. This is the reason why we celebrate Christmas, because in Jesus Christ, God has shown us favor. God has shown us favor. This is God's gift to us, and that's what I'd like for us to meditate on this morning as we look at Luke chapter 1, verses 26 to 38. So if you have a Bible, uh, please go ahead and open it up to Luke chapter 1, verses 26 to 38. If you don't have one, that's all right. You can look at the text that's printed on page 20 in your bulletins. This passage has already been read for us. Thank you, Paul, uh, for reading that for us. And so I won't read it again, but what I'd like to do is to just walk through this passage uh, make some observations along the way, and think about what all of it means for us. And as we do that, I think we can get a, a better grasp of what the favor of God actually means. Now, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, if you have been saved by grace alone, you know what this means. For others who don't, some of you might have some idea, some of you might think that God's favor needs to be earned, and some of you might think that his favor is some mysterious blessing of some sort. But Luke, who writes this account, helps us learn three lessons concerning the gift of God's favor. And we will see that, number one, God's favor is given and not earned. God's favor is given and not earned. And number two, God's favor is a person and not a thing. God's favor is a person and not a thing. And number three, God's favor demands a response and cannot be ignored. God's favor demands a response of submission and cannot be ignored. But first, let's think about that first point. God's favor is given, and we'll see here in this text that it is announced. It comes to someone who's not even looking for it. Look at verse 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. Now Luke, the author of this book, tells us at the very beginning, Luke chapter 1, verses 1 to 4, he tells us why he wrote this account. Luke was a Christian of non-Jewish origin, and he was a friend of the Apostle Paul. He was not an eyewitness of the ministry of Jesus, but he interviewed the eyewitnesses like a careful historian. 
and he sought to write down an orderly account for a man named Theophilus, who was probably financing uh, this project. And so he says to Theophilus that he wrote this account, Luke 1 verse 4, so that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. And that's the point, really, of Luke's gospel, that we have an accurate historical account of what took place. When you read Luke's gospel or any other gospel, it reads like history. It doesn't read like some crazy person sat under a tree or in a cave and then wrote down some religious mumbo-jumbo that came to his mind. It reads like any ancient history book. That's why he wrote it. So that we can be sure of what we believe as Christians. And Luke tells us that Jesus came to this world to seek and save the lost. To seek and save sinners. And that's not a subset of people according to the Bible. That's everyone. Because of our rebellion against God. Because of our first parents, Adam and Eve, the first humans... Because of what they did when they sinned, all of mankind in them sinned. Every human being is born into this world as a sinner by nature. And because we are sinners by nature, we sin by choice. And because we have sinned against a holy God, we stand under God's judgment. God created us for good and glorious purposes, but we have all gone astray. We have all disobeyed his word and turned to our own wisdom. And for that, we don't get favor. We earn wages. And here's what we earn. Here's the salary that we get because of our disobedience. The Bible says that the wages of sin is death. That's what we earn. We earn death and judgment. But Jesus, according to Luke, came to save sinners. But he also tells us that the coming of Jesus into our world was a plan that God set into motion a long time ago. And he revealed his plan to his people through the prophets. And these prophecies are recorded for us in the Old Testament. And so the coming of Jesus into the world is the fulfillment of God's prophecies that were given some thousands of years ago and some of them hundreds of years ago prior to Jesus' coming. And they happened exactly as God said it would. And therefore, here's what it means for us, therefore, this means we can trust His Word. We can trust His Word. We can be sure. And so Luke begins his narrative by telling us about the birth of two boys. Two boys. And Luke wants us to read these two accounts side by side to show us that Jesus is no ordinary baby boy. First, we are told that the angel Gabriel visits an old priest named Zechariah and his barren wife, Elizabeth. She can't have children. That's what barren means. And he tells them that they will have a son in keeping with the prophecy made by the prophet Malachi over 400 years ago. God's word comes true. This baby boy grows up to be John the Baptist, who prepares the way for the ministry of Jesus. And and just as the angel says, Elizabeth conceives, and in the sixth month of her pregnancy, right? that's where our text begins, in the sixth month of her pregnancy, God sends Gabriel to a run-down, corrupt little town called Nazareth in Galilee, 
that was filled mostly with Gentiles, those are non-Jewish people. And this happened not only to fulfill a, a prophetic expectation, but it also teaches us how God often acts. He turns the values of this sinful world upside down. He doesn't conform to our expectations. So God did not send his angel to Jerusalem, that holy city. No, he sent him to a place that everybody made fun of. Right? This would be like saying if God were to visit us today, instead of showing up in Dubai or London or New York, he shows up in Mohadoub. And you say, where's Mohadoub? Well, it's a town in Umalquain. Well, you say, I've never heard of that place. Exactly. He shows up where you would least likely expect him to show up. And he chooses the most unlikely person to announce the most important message in the world. And look who he chooses. Verse 27. Gabriel shows up to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. Now, Mary would have been a young teenage girl, 14 or 15 at the most. If you were going to give the most important message in the world, would you choose a teenage girl? That's what God does. 14 or 15 at the most, and she was betrothed to Joseph. She was engaged to be married. Uh, but a betrothal in those days was far more serious and legally binding. So usually virgins, unmarried young women, would be betrothed uh, for a period during which time they would be legally considered to be the wife of the man that they were betrothed to. And then the betrothal would be followed up months later, maybe a year even, by a marriage ceremony after which they would consummate, husband and wife would consummate their marriage. So that hasn't happened yet. She's just betrothed. They have not yet known each other sexually. That's what it means. Now, before I tell you about Joseph, I need to tell you something about Gabriel. The fact that it is Gabriel who is announcing this is itself significant. Gabriel is an angel who stands in the presence of God himself. And the last time Gabriel is mentioned is in the book of Daniel. There's only two places Gabriel shows up. Daniel and then here at the birth of Jesus. Now when Daniel prayed for the forgiveness of the sins of the people of Israel in exile, when he prayed for their restoration... That's when God sent Gabriel to tell Daniel that one day, God in the distant future, after a set full period of time, God would send an anointed one who would accomplish the salvation of his people. That he would restore his people to himself through the work of this anointed one or Messiah. And the fact that Gabriel shows up more than 500 years later, at least to the Jewish reader, this would have raised the question, so, so is it time now? Gabriel's here. Is it time now for God to save his people through his Messiah? Is this the fullness of time? Now in Daniel's time, everyone expected this Messiah to be from the lineage of King David. God made a promise and covenant with King David that one day he would set a king on David's throne. Someone who would come from David's lineage, who will set up an everlasting kingdom. And that message was 
reiterated to Daniel. To this one would be given all dominion and glory and all peoples of every nation would serve him. And Luke tells us that Joseph was from the house of David. And so even as Luke tells us about this, he's creating that, that messianic expectation. You know, have you ever received a, a present where someone will, will wrap it up and put it in a box and then wrap it up, put it in another box? Have you ever received one of those? This is like that. This passage is like that. It's like opening a Christmas present. You take off one la- layer. Oh, it's Gabriel. You take off another layer. Oh, it's about the house of David. The Messiah is coming. The Messiah, that's what Luke's doing in the story. You know, this passage is all about the fulfillment of divine promises. Anyone born into Joseph's family would be legally considered of Davidic descent. And notice what Gabriel says to Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one. Well, favored by whom? Well, favored by the Lord. The Lord is with you. In other words, God has shown you favor or grace. That's what the word in Greek means. Favor is grace. Mary is not full of grace. She has been shown sovereign grace. That's what favor means. It is the undeserved grace of God that is bestowed upon her. You see, Mary is a sinner just like every other human being, and she needs a Savior to rescue her from her sins. You can see that in Mary's song. She's praising God for a Savior. And so you can imagine her being very confused and perplexed. Like, why would God send His angel to a nobody like Mary? You know, if the angel showed up to the daughter of the high priest in Jerusalem, well, that would have been easier to swallow. And so this is why, despite what Gabriel says, we read this, verse 29. But she was greatly troubled at the saying. So Mary's thinking, God has shown grace to me. What does he mean? He has a word for me? And she tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. So in her mind, she was pondering. She was wondering, what is happening right now? And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. See, once again, Mary is comforted with this word, favor or grace. God has graciously chosen you for this task. God's undeserved favor is announced to Mary. Not because she was seeking God, not because she earned it by her good deeds, not because she was seeking and earning and preparing. None of that is mentioned. God just shows up. Because God made her the object of His unmerited goodness. She didn't ask for this, nor was she preparing or praying for this. She didn't sign up for this. God stepped into her life and disrupted it and called her into His service. Some of your testimonies are like this, right? God's grace just disrupted your life and He saved you. Now, if you're not a Christian or if you were born into a Christian family, but you don't have any real interest in Christ. Well, friend, I pray that this morning He will disrupt your life with His favor. That's my prayer for you. 
that he will disrupt your life. He will interrupt what you're doing and save you. You see, God's favor is given and not earned by sinful men and women. God teaches us in his word that we are dead in our sins. We are spiritually alienated from him. And as a result of this, sinners don't have a heart that seek him. Romans 3, 10 to 11 says, No one is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. Well, sometimes people do. Well, they do it for stuff they can get from him. They don't seek him. But the testimony of the scriptures is that even though we have rebelled against God, he has come seeking us. See, every other religion speaks about what we must do to gain God's favor. But the good news of Christmas tells us that God has shown sinners favor. And in keeping with his promises, he has come to save sinners. Now, for those of us who believe that we are saved by grace of God alone, and not by anything that we have done, let's not forget this Christmas day that the, that word of grace that saved us while we were still sinners, continues to sanctify us and to sustain us to the very end. The God who has been gracious to us will always be gracious to us because His grace brings us to Himself. So brothers and sisters, don't drift away from the gospel of Jesus Christ. God shows favor to sinners. And this brings us to our second point. God's grace or favor is a person. Gabriel tells Mary that she has found favor and now he proceeds to tell her what this favor is. Look at verse 31. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son. See, the gift of God's favor is a son, is a person. God's favor comes into our sinful world as a human. And we get to learn five things about this son. Five things. Firstly, look at the text. Gabriel says, and you shall call his name what? Jesus. This is God's command to Mary given through Gabriel. Favor comes with commands. That's not an option. See, Mary and Joseph don't get to decide, well, sh shall we name our kid Bob? Shall we call him Henry? No, you shall call his name Jesus. Jesus means Yahweh saves. Yahweh is the covenant name of the God of the Old Testament. Yahweh saves. This is more explicit in Matthew 1.21. You shall call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. This child has a job description before he's even conceived. Secondly, verse 32, he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. So the Most High, this is a reference, this phrase is a reference to God himself. Genesis 14, verse 22, the Lord is the Most High God, possessor of heaven and earth. And Daniel often declared that God Most High rules over the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he wills. 
This child, Jesus, will be called the Son of the Most High God. He will be great, the text says. Now, Jesus' greatness lies in the fact, according to this text, lies in the fact that He is the Son of the Most High God and not a prophet. This is very obvious when you compare this with another child, John the Baptist, Luke 1.76, And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare His ways. John's the prophet of the Most High. This is the son of the Most High. Now, anyone who has read the Old Testament knows that when God anointed kings to rule over His people, they were to have a special relationship with God, ruling over His people according to His word. God Himself claimed a special relationship with the king, such that the king was called a son of God, or an anointed one, or Messiah. And so, we can see thirdly here, that Gabriel tells Mary that her son, Jesus, is the long-promised Davidic king. He's the king. Look at the verse. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. Again, this goes back to a covenant that the Lord made with David. We see this in 2 Samuel 7, 11 to 13. David wanted to build a temple for God, but God instead told him that long after David was gone, one of his descendants would build a house for God's name and God would establish his throne, his kingship forever. And that is exactly what Gabriel says that Jesus would have, David's throne. Fourthly, here's the fourth thing we can learn about the Son. Jesus will reign over His people forever. Look at verse 33. And He will reign over the house of Jacob forever. The house of Jacob was a traditional way of referring to the people of Israel. And Gabriel says, of His kingdom there will be no end. Human kings don't live forever. They certainly don't reign forever. And yet Jesus not only fulfills God's promise made to David, but he also fulfills that vision that was given to Daniel about the Son of Man in Daniel 7.14. The one who boldly enters into the presence of the ancient of days of God himself. And to him is given all glory and honor and dominion so that all peoples of every tribe, tongue and nation should worship him and his kingdom shall not pass away. But Mary, as she listens to all of this, she's not thinking about, well, how, does, how can a mere king accomplish this? Think about all that she's hearing. This is a lot. This is a lot to take in and process. Mary's got a more fundamental question and a fairly sensible one. Look at verse 34. Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I'm a virgin? Mary says, the last time I checked, a man and a woman need to have sex in order to, for conception to happen. How is this going to happen? And here's the most astounding thing Gabriel tells us about Jesus. Fifthly, he is no mere human. This Son of God is God the Son. This Son of God is God the Son. Look at verse 35. And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. You know, our Muslim friends need to near, read this. Now, he will not mate with you. No, there's nothing of that sort going on. Notice the delicate language. 
the Spirit will overshadow you. He will cover you. This is a miracle, a miraculous conception that does not involve a human father or human seed. Literally, what we have here is a seed of a woman, which under normal circumstances is not possible. And yet we know that thousands of years ago, this is exactly what was promised to Adam and Eve, that God would raise up a Savior from the seed of the woman. And whatever happens here is also a fulfillment of a prophecy by the prophet Isaiah, who said in Isaiah 7 verse 14 that God would give his people a sign that the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means what? God with us. God with us. You see, this child, Jesus, is conceived by the Holy Spirit, who is God. Therefore, says Gabriel, because of this, therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. That was never said of any king in the Old Testament. This one will not be a sinner by nature. Unlike Mary and every other human, he is sinless, holy, conceived by God himself. And therefore, Jesus will be called the Son of God. Not like a human king who was also called a son of God. He is God the Son. He is God in the flesh. He is God's unique and begotten Son. That's what begotten means. You see, rabbits beget rabbits. Humans beget humans. God begets God. You know, He is the Son of God. You can only imagine what must have been going on in Mary's head. This teenage girl is getting a lesson in Trinitarian theology. The Lord our God is one. That's Israel's great confession. And yet he mysteriously and eternally exists in three persons. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And yet he is one God. Friends, I want you to see here that God didn't send us an ordinary gift. He sent us the amazing gift of Himself. So I don't care what great gift you got today or what you're anticipating on getting. It can be better than this. Jesus Christ, listen carefully. Jesus Christ is one person with two complete and distinct natures. This one person is the divine Son, the second person of the Trinity. The person of the Son... Listen carefully, the person of the Son is and acts as fully God according to His divine nature, which He shares equally with the Father and the Spirit. Think about that. Take a minute. And at the same time, the person of the Son is and acts as fully man according to His human nature, which is a body and soul, just like you and me, except without sin. Imagine that. You know what that should make you do? Fall on your knees and worship. You know, I have never gotten a gift where I have opened it and have been so overwhelmed that I started to worship it. It never happened. But... This is exactly the response that Luke wants us to have. 
worship. This is why we, we sang that Jesus is God of God, light of light, that he is begotten, not created, that he is the word made flesh. He is the favor or the grace of God in the flesh. And this is why he came, to show favor to those who deserve God's judgment. You see, he took on human flesh to be our representative so that he could do what we could not do. And that is to obey God perfectly. He did it on our behalf. And he also died on our behalf. He died on the cross in the place of sinners. For all who would turn away from their sins and call on his name and trust in him alone to save him. That's what he did. He did it for everyone who would repent of their sins and put their trust in him. And to them, he gives eternal life. Jesus took God's judgment on himself. And then he rose from the dead to grant forgiveness of sins and eternal life to all those who believe in him. In Jesus, God himself has come to save us. See, when we look at Jesus, not only do we understand what God is like, we also understand what it means to be truly human. The only sinless, perfect human who ever walked the face of this earth is Jesus. And it is the fullness of human righteousness that gets credited to our account when we believe in him. And only God could have made atonement for us. Only he could have ab absorbed the eternal wrath of God. In Jesus, God has come to save us. See, Mary wondered about this miraculous conception. And so Gabriel pointed out what God had done for her relative, Elizabeth, the mother of John the Baptist. Look at verse 36. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who, will, who was called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. This is God's signature move. See, he creates life out of death. He did this with Abraham and Sarah. He takes a dead womb and miraculously brings life out of it. In fact, this text is an allusion to the very first book of the Bible, Genesis 18, verse 4, 4, when the Lord showed up in Abraham's tent and said that Sarah, who was old and barren, you know, your womb can't get any deader than that, and he said that she would conceive a son. Ultimately, from Abraham's offspring would come a Savior who is Jesus. And when Sarah heard this, she laughed. And the Lord said, Is anything too hard for Yahweh? And so Mary is assured that the God who did this for Sarah and the God who did this for Elizabeth would bring his own son into the world through a virgin's womb. See, the gift of God's favor is the person of his son, the Lord Jesus. And yet, friends, none of this will benefit you if you don't do what Mary did. And that brings us to our third and final point. God's favor calls for our submission. Look at verse 32. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. You know, Mary heard a lot that day. And so have you this morning. And she had to process all of that over a lifetime. 
But here's the important thing about Mary, and we see this in verse 45. She believed the word of the Lord and submitted to it. Submitted to it. I am your slave. I am your servant, she said. And friends, that's what God's favor, His grace, calls us to do. It demands submission because God has come. God has come and He calls you to believe, to repent, and to believe in the only way that God has provided for the salvation of sinners, the Lord Jesus Christ. Friend, do you know how you can be merry this Christmas? How you can receive the favor of God? Turn to Jesus. Just repent of your sins this morning, right now, and be reconciled to God. Believe that God's favor has come into our world in the person of His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Trust in Him and you will be saved and you will know the true joy of Christmas. See, God's grace miraculously saves people and He can save you today. So don't ignore Him. Don't ignore Him or you will perish when He comes again to judge the living and the dead. Friends, this church exists because Jesus Christ has saved us. We are a bunch of sinners saved by Christmas grace. And we live by grace, submitting to the word of Christ, becoming more like Him, and saying to Him, Lord, let it be to us according to Your word. And that's how we are changed into the image of Christ from one degree of glory to another. This is what it means to be a Christian, to be brought from death to life, to be made alive, and to trust in Jesus alone. So don't put it off. Receive your King. Let's pray. Father, we come to you and thank you for Jesus. We thank you, O Lord, that he came, and in him alone we find salvation. Lord, for those of us who know him, those you have called into your grace in which we stand, we pray that you would open our eyes more and more to see the wonders of your glory, the wonders of Jesus' incarnation, his work on the cross. And Lord, we pray that you would change us, cause us to trust and obey you even more. And Lord, for those of you who are hearing, for those who are hearing this for the first time, we pray, O oh Lord, that you would do a work of joy in their hearts. Just as you brought life out of nothing in the Old Testament, out of barren women, we pray, O oh Lord, that you would put faith where there is none. We pray that you would cause people's hearts to be born again and trust in the Savior. For we ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.